I understand the depth of their knowledge and, yeah. and how, how much they can bring to the table. And so it's not a competition to see, you know, if I can be the most valuable player on the staff, it's more of how do we utilize everybody at the right time in the most important way. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Major League Baseball veteran strength coach, Donovan Santos. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, give you a little recap on what's new, what I'm excited about this week, and then a quick deep thought that I think many, if not most of you will appreciate. So let's start with what's new, a little bit of coaching. Last week, it was very nice, kind of had a chill weekend, only had one children's sporting event in Cade's indoor soccer practice, so it was nice to just relax a little bit. As you know, Friday is pizza movie night, so we watched Black Panther. Kiddos really enjoyed that. And then on Saturday now, we've got a new tradition. Since Disney Plus is really rolling out all these new TV shows, we were watching The Mandalorian. Now we're into the WandaVision shows, so just enjoying that. Man, I just enjoy any time that I can snuggle up on the couch and hang out with those two. And so it's been really fun just kind of having that tradition and building that tradition over the years. For those of you that are of a certain age, started Cobra Kai this weekend. Bill had been talking about it incessantly (laughs) over the last couple months. And so I knew if he was that into it, I wanted to watch it too. So I'm only like two episodes deep. If you are into it, please do not spoil it for me, but excited. Definitely having some flashbacks to the old days. I remember watching all of the original Karate Kid movies growing up. So hopefully I can convince my wife to continue watching them. If not, I'm going to be watching them on an iPad (laughs) with headphones on every night by myself. So yeah, nothing too exciting this past weekend. Probably the highlight was booking our house for spring break. We haven't been in a couple years, but I just felt like this was definitely the time we need to get out of here for a little while. A little change of scenery never hurts. And my best friend from college has three kids all around the ages of my kids. So I think we're going to meet up in Florida, just soak up hopefully some some warm weather for seven days, recharge. And that'll work out pretty well time-wise because uh, I should only have you know my, my small group people that are still here right now that I'm coaching. So, you know, they may even be out of town at that point in time. And it'll give me a little bit of downtime before the NBA season off season starts to ramp up and end of April, early May. So definitely looking forward to that. And then as you know, I'm trying to get through a book a week. So my book from last week was called Unf. You can spell it out if you would like, but Unf Yourself. It is by Gary John Bishop, and I forget how I got turned on to this book, but somebody had mentioned it, and they were just mentioning how it's really powerful with regards to perception and the stories that we tell ourselves and self-limiting beliefs, and I think that's probably something all of us struggle with is that internal dialogue. So, man, I'll be honest, I I don't enjoy... And I got this from Martin Rooney. I don't enjoy books where you have to swear in the title because I feel bad even having it out in front of my children. But the content within those pages is very, very good. It's one of the books here most recently that I've highlighted a ton, dog-geared a lot of pages. I'm going to go back through it and retype some of the stuff because I think not only the mantras, but some of the stories and some of the ways that he makes you think about your beliefs and the stories that you tell yourself is very, very powerful. So if you can get over the title of the book, and if you have self-limiting beliefs or stories that you feel like are holding you back from achieving your true potential, then I think you would really enjoy it. So that's what's new this week. Pretty excited. I actually wrote myself a real live training program. Now, if you follow me on the gram, you'll see every now and then I'll snap like, a quick pick of what I'm doing on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday. And while there's some general principles I followed, I haven't set something in stone for quite some time. So pretty excited about the next four weeks. I've got a pretty good foundation just from the last three or four weeks where I've been building up to this, but definitely excited to see where I can get over the next two, three, four months before uh, the summer off season hits and I got to go back into maintenance mode. So got a real training program, excited about that. Got a lot of complete coach work to get done this week, working on, if you have not seen the superset webinar, 
you will see it in some form or fashion. So I'm trying to recreate that, hopefully get more people interested in the certification. So I'm going to work on that. I've also got the diplomas and the CEUs pretty much ready to go out in the sense that I'm starting to build all that out. Hopefully I'll have it out. If not this week, definitely next week. I was so proud of myself because for some reason, Apple pages and numbers don't have a mail merge function. You have to go and like create a script. So after about 30 minutes of studying online last night, I figured out how to basically import all of the names into the diploma file. So now I've got all those ready to go. I got to get those printed in color at Kinko's. Then the real thing is just jumbling and putting it all together so that I can send everything out. So, man, that's where I'm at. And believe it or not, I am excited about that because, I mean, the people that have taken the time not only to invest, but taken the time to go through all the course materials, to pass the quiz. I'm excited to send this this material to them and, you know, just kind of give them that stamp of approval. So that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. As far as my deep thought of the week, I am reminded often here in the last couple of weeks of a quote. I don't know who said it first. I know I heard it from Ryan Horn first in one of his podcasts, but he said, be where your feet are. And I think this is incredibly relevant in the sense that so often we get caught daydreaming or we get focused on the future and where we want to go or where we want to be without necessarily just respecting the fact that like, hey, you know, things are good here. Like I'm building something here. I can get better where I'm at and just recognizing and being grateful for what you have. And this is something that, you know, people talk about gratitude journals quite a bit. And it's something that I do on a semi-regular basis, by all means, not every day, but I try and do it at least once a week. And I should probably be doing it more because the thing that I love about a gratitude journal is how it, it makes you focus on that day or that moment. And if you really challenge yourself and you don't just say, oh, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm healthy. I'm grateful, you know, for my kids. Like once you get past that, and you really start to be specific, it makes you be grateful for those little moments throughout the day. So as a moment of personal reflection, we were sitting there yesterday and Kendall, who's almost 10 now, I mean, that's another reason why, like just recognizing, oh my gosh, my baby girl is almost 10. But when you have those thoughts and we're sitting there and she's like, oh, I want to do a puzzle. So just sitting there with her for 45 minutes doing a puzzle and then Cade wants to be involved and he's sitting there and, you know, he's like, wow, you guys are doing so great on your puzzle. Like just being where your feet are, being present, being grateful for those little things that happen throughout your day. I think it just makes everything that you do a little bit better. So that's my advice or tip for you. You know, I always feel weird, even though I'm like middle aged, I guess, giving anybody personal or life advice, but that's, that's my little tip for the week. Be where your feet are. Be grateful for the, the people that you have in your life, for the situations that you're in right now, even if it's not ideal, right? Like we've all been in not ideal situations. Be grateful for them because they're making you stronger. They're teaching you powerful lessons. And ultimately they're going to make you a better, stronger version of yourself. Okay. That's enough for me. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Donovan Santos. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, 
coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Donovan Santos has spent the last 21 years of his coaching career in Major League Baseball, with that time spanning three different clubs. He's currently the Assistant Director of Player Health and Performance for the New York Yankees, and you might have heard of his boss at some point in time, some dude named Eric Cressy. Anyway, in this show, Donovan and I take a stroll down memory lane and see how physical preparation has evolved over his 21 years in the MLB. We start by talking about what things were like back in the day and how quote-unquote strength coaches were looked at back then. Then we fast forward to today and look at how not only the programs have evolved, but the staffs as well. And last but not least, we touch on training in baseball and how in the heck you stay in shape when you're basically playing 162 games in 180 days. There's a ton of great info in this episode, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Donovan, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to catch up with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate you inviting me on and uh, uh, look forward to doing this and listen to your, a lot of your shows over the years. So glad to finally be part of it. Yeah. But I'm currently the Assistant Director of Player Health and Performance for the New York Yankees, working directly under a close friend of both of ours, Eric Cressy. Yep. Spent the last 21 years in, in professional baseball in many different capacities. Love it, man. Love it. So what gave you your start in physical preparation or how did you get interested in this space as a whole? Yeah, kind of a kind of a crazy story. And I probably haven't told it too much to, to anybody outside of my real tight circle, but grew up on a dairy farm in the in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Okay. So way, way out in the sticks. And and so the town that I went to school in was seven, there were 750 people in the town. And I think I graduated high school with another 20 other kids type deal. So super duper small, every stereotype that you've ever heard of or thought of in regards to Wisconsin, I lived it, you know, <laughs> you know never, dr- never bought milk until I got to college, you know, just drank it right out of the bull tank, that type of stuff, wow. but, but worked every day on the farm growing up, you know, never did any traditional strength training in the weight room or anything like that. It was just really, everything was just, you know, work on the farm. You know, growing up, I was absolutely just loved basketball. It was my favorite sport. I practiced it, watched it, everything I could. So I knew I wanted to do something within within sports. I loved it. So ended up going to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, which wasn't too far from me, to study exercise science. And when I got there, fell into a really cool situation where it's a Division three school. It's a pretty small situation, but the uh, the football team was outstanding that year and, and ended up winning the national championship in Division three and ended up having two players on that Division three team that went on to play in the NFL. So it was just a really ironic and just crazy situation, but it made me even more interested in sports, not just basketball, but other sports. It really got my, my fire burning. And yeah. so, you know, to complete that graduation, and I loved everything I did at lacrosse, got to work in in the weight room. They had a really good system in place. Travis Tri- Triplett McBride was there. So really good research knowledge and everything like that. So I knew I wanted to do something within physical you know, preparation. And so that took me to University of Arizona. And I ended up there because back then, you know, if, if the internet was up and running, I didn't know how to use it. So, <laughs> um, so I, set, I sent handwritten letters to every division one college asking for an internship. And I got two responses, one from USC and one from Arizona, University of Arizona. So I called USC and I said, hey, they said, yeah, we'd love to have you come out. We can't pay you. And so I said, okay, well, how much is the cost of living there? And they're like, oh, you could probably get a place that's, you know, not incredibly dangerous, you know, for around 2000 a month. You know, so I called the University of Arizona, same deal. They said, we'd love to have you out here, but we can't pay you anything. And I said, okay, what's the cost of living there? And they said, well, you could get a decent place for around 500 bucks. I said, I'll be there in a minute. And so <laughs> packed up, packed up my car and drove to Tucson and, and fell into another really awesome situation there. So didn't really have any idea what I was going into, but super awesome situation where their, their football team was ranked number two in the nation at the time. Their basketball team was ranked number one in the nation at the time. 
bunch of NBA stars on that team. Their softball team, you know, Jenny Finch was there at the time. So they're winning national championships. There's so many died. Every team they had was just, was just incredible across the board. And so I just started to find myself surrounded by a lot of really unique and in, insanely talented athletes as I kept going. And so it just kept driving that desire for me to, to keep, keep that in my, you know, in my profession and, and be part of that. That led to an internship with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, again, fell into an amazing situation there where you wasn't looking for baseball, but you know, it was an opportunity that, that arose. So I ended up going there and, and the Indians at the time were absolutely loaded. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. had Hall of Famers almost at every single position across the board. And I went in there, you know, really naive, not knowing, which, which helps, you know, I didn't go in starstruck. You know, I wasn't, right. I wasn't, you know, enamored with everybody, but I was in the weight room working and I'm like, oh, there's David, there's David Justice, there's Kenny Lofton, there's Omar Vizquel and Robbie Alomar. And, and it was just guy after guy. And, you know, there's Chuck Finley and I'm like, oh, who's that? And he's like, well, his, his you know, his wife is Tana Katane, who's in the Whitesnake video. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Like, and it was just thing after thing, you know, where you're just like enamored with, with where you are and what you're doing. And, and it, I just absolutely loved what I was doing and pushing it. So spent a couple of internships there and, and ended up with the Toronto Blue Jays where I spent, you know, the last 18, 18 years until moving over to the Yankees here. But again, situations there where I ended up in, in the major leagues at a really young age, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I was not prepared. I was not ready, but, but I was thrust into it and it was, it was a sink or swim. And, and again, I didn't, I didn't just get you know, overloaded and enamored. I just started to soak it all in and you'd be like, you know, what can I learn? What, you know, how can I be an asset? How can be, how can I support what's going on here and how can I be part of, of making this better, you know, instead of trying trying to take over. And, you know, again, got to work with a bunch of Hall of Famers there in the, at the Blue Jays un, until this new opportunity with the Yankees, you know, came along. I love it, man. I love it. So, you know, I don't want to make you feel old because <laughs> I'm assuming we're probably pretty close in age when you're listing the, the athletes that you've worked with off. But you've obviously spent some time around strength and conditioning in pro baseball. I think you said you're at year 21 or 22 now. So let's start at the beginning, man. What was strength and conditioning like in pro baseball when you got there? When I got here, it, it, it depends, you know, and it was really interesting how different organizations, you know, had pushed it more than others. So when I was with the Indians, it was very structured. Fernando Montez was the major league strength coach there. And it was very, very structured to the point where every every player had a program, you know, and, you know, the handouts, the, the accountability was there and everything across the board. When I went to the Blue Jays, so so with the Cleveland they had a major league strength coach. They had a major league assistant. They had a Latin American coordinator, minor league coordinator, strength coaches at every single level. Wow. And, and so it was a very well-established program. When yeah. I went to the Blue Jays, there was the major league strength coach, uh, Jeff Cashel, and myself as the minor league coordinator. And we were the only two strength coaches in the entire organization. Wow. And so I walked in and I'm like, oh my God, like how, <laughs> you know, how am I going to be the only strength coach for an entire minor league operation type deal? So that was great because it forced me to, to build, you know, build an internship program and, and bring in, bring in, you know, quality coaches to help out and, and make the, make the organization recognize the importance of what we were doing to the point where they needed to add positions. We were really far behind. And, you know, I feel like by the time we left, I felt like, you know, considering everything that had changed um, where Toronto had added a high performance department and I was a part of that, they, I think we had the biggest high performance staff in all of baseball at the time when I left. Wow. So the, the amount of change that happened over the years was, was just astronomical. But so that, that's one, that's one area that, right. that, that exploded and changed. So I don't know, I don't know how much farther you want to go or any different angle you want to take on that. Well, I mean, just, just give me an idea. And I think we'll talk more about this, but like, what did a training program look like 21 years ago versus what it looks like today? Like, what kind of evolution did you see there? I mean, I'm just thinking back 20 plus years ago, man. It was like, oh, football, well, we're basically going to do a couple Olympic lifts. We're going to squat. We're going to bench maybe some heavy lunges. You know, like it was all mm-hmm. like strength oriented. Like, what was the programming like back then? It was very basic. Yeah. Very, very basic. It was uh, it was still kind of in the area of, and again, this was very organizational specific. So for the most part, it was very basic to the point where you did not want to hurt anyone because yep. you were so new. You were so new to the game. You were, you were the new guy on the block. 
And so anytime anybody got hurt, I can still remember. And the first thing is like, what do they do in the weight room? You know? And I was like, <laughs> right. well, I mean, you know, they, this is the 36th game he started this year. You know, I, he's throwing, you know, 500 innings. Like that might contribute more than, you know, the three sets of 10 lap pull downs he did. So it was very, very basic across the board. Some players, you know, had, you know, much heavier strength-based workouts where they would get after it. Other guys, you know, would, would do absolutely nothing. And so it was kind of eye-opening to the fact, the fact where you could see how some guys, you know, could literally do nothing and just still be successful. And, and other guys, you know, could really, really get after it and crush themselves and, and have similar success. But, you know, I worked under or worked with, with Roy Halladay, Hall of Famer, and like he worked harder than, than any player I've ever seen in baseball and, and pushed the envelope in every area. And then, you know, we, we also had many other players on the team who did nothing, you know, and, and right. you would expect guys to do it. You would want guys to do it, but there was no, there was no repercussions if, if players didn't participate in a, in a strength program. Gotcha. So, you know, you're kind of handcuffed in that regard. I gotcha. So this, this will kind of work as a nice segue because obviously all industries shift over time. They evolve, but from what I've seen, and I'd imagine you've seen as well, I feel like the shifts come even faster when you're working in the world of pro sports. There's this thought process. You have to keep up with the Joneses, right? And what are these other teams or clubs doing? So with that being said, what were some of the big waves or maybe some of the big shifts you've seen over your time in the industry? Yeah, I think the biggest shifts that I've noticed, number one, at least within the organization when I was there, was was FMS came in and just kind of added a, a more functional movement or a corrective component to what we were doing. Also helped a little bit with also uh, also helped a lot with the assessment. You know, I think yeah. early on early on we did we did such a poor job of assessing any of the players. Yep, it was it was purely you know orthopedic assessment. And, you know, if they're good to go, they were good to go. The FMS helped us a lot there. That was a huge shift for us. And the corrective work made a big difference. As it, as it got farther, breathing, breathing's made a huge change across the board. Uh, that's impacted everyone. So that's been a, a big, big thing. And then, you know, clearly the technology that's coming to the weight room, you know, has, has changed everything too, you know, from everything that's available to us from, you know, timing gates to VBTs and, and everything. You know, yeah. there's almost almost an expectation that if you're not doing it, that you're not good enough, you know, or, you know, you're definitely losing ground, which which is silly at times. Right. Right. Yeah. And I want to circle back to the first thing that you said, you know, like regardless of how the FMS is viewed at this point or regardless of how you look at it, like it started an entire conversation of. Hey, mm -hmm. look, maybe there's more to working out and strength training than just squatting, bench pressing, or deadlifting the most weight possible, right? Yeah, and, and this 100. idea of building con or building movement patterns versus just getting ridiculously strong. Yes, yes. And for the, for the longest time, honestly, strength, you know, would hide a lot of issues. You know, mm -hmm. if you just got guys strong enough, they would be fine. Like, and they could they could you know hide a lot of stuff. The problem with baseball is you practice and you, and you compete play literally every single day. And so, you know, strength is great and it maintains that ability to do that, you know, over a decent amount of time. But the reality is at some point it all comes crashing down, you yeah. know, no matter how strong you are. And, and I thought FMS helped us a lot because there, there were a couple of times where, you know, just watching guys do you know, FMS squat and, and you almost want to throw up. <laughs> right. and, and then, you know, literally, you know, 30 minutes later, they're in the squat rack, you know, with, with a heavy bar on your back. And you're like, this, this just doesn't, just, just doesn't seem right. Right. You know, I can, I can be better than this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I love it. And then another thing that you mentioned too, and obviously you kind of got to say this, right? Because your wife's pretty much like one of the gurus of breathing, but I, I feel like that too has been such an impactful piece of the puzzle because for so long, it was just like, oh, let's stretch and strengthen. You know, you got 20 correctives and then, oh, wait, hey, you you mean you tell me if I put some air into this space in my body, now I restore range of motion? Like, what a cool tool that is, not only for coaches and trainers, but for athletes as well. That's That's been so, so incredible to see how that's changed over the years. And and yeah, my wife, Dana, is, is definitely crushing that that area right now. And that was honestly, that was the first time I met you, uh, when, yeah. when uh, Dana and I were at the PRI course Yeah, and I still remember we had been doing, you know, uh, a sideline sleeper stretch in, in our, in our team preps and stuff like that. And I remember at the PRI course, 
you know, they, they did an internal rotation check and, and then, you know, gave the guy, you know, three breaths and a bridge and then checked it again. And he gained 30 degrees of internal rotation. And I literally almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my right. God. And, and I knew, I knew it was a parlor trick and I knew, I knew what it was about, but the reality like it clicked in my head was like posturally positionally changing people makes such a huge impact versus just, you know, laying on your side and cranking on a capsule. Yeah. And I just, at that point I was just like, they're like, Holy cow, you know, like there's, there's a lot to learn here and it can have a massive impact, especially when you're talking about a joint that is so crucial to success and longevity as, as that it was a no brainer, you know, to, to make sure that, that we're up to speed on that. Yeah, for sure. So this next one could take a while, but don't worry. I got plenty of time. (laughs) Could you like compare and contrast what people thought of strength and conditioning coaches when you started Versus how they're viewed today. Because like you said up front, you know, if somebody got injured 20 years ago, the first person they're talking to is the strength coach. And maybe it's the same way now. But like, can you talk to us about the difference about maybe how an organization looked at you 20 years ago versus how they look at you in your role now? Yeah, honestly, 20 years ago. And again, it depends on the org. Some orgs were, were much farther ahead. You know, some orgs probably looked at it as just the meathead guy. You yeah. know, some orgs looked at it as a position that we just had to fill. You know, somebody's got to be down in the weight room to make sure, you know, the lights are on and, and nobody gets hurt and that type of stuff. That has evolved so much over the years to the point now where the strength coach is, is crucial. I mean, there was a point in MLB where they had to put in a stipulation, the, R, the NSCA RSCC, where all strength coaches had to have RSCC because some teams were starting to go away from hiring strength and conditioning coaches and just adding a third trainer. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, their, their idea was, you know, why, why do we need a strength coach if we can just have three trainers, you know, and just kind of manage, manage the day-to-day stuff that way. So, the, you know, MLB stepped in and, and rectified that. And that was, that was at the behest of the players, the players association. That was important to them. They recognized the importance of the strength coach. They knew how important it was and they wanted to make sure that they were, there was a strength coach part of the staff. And that is ex- that has exploded and grown to the point with nutritionists and mental performance coaches and everything across the board where where MLB is now, you know, mandating those those positions as part of the, the major league staff as well. But but now you see strength coaches who are crucial, crucial to to everything, you know, to the hitting coach, the pitching coaches, to the day to day operations. And and you see you see a lot of strength coaches who are evolving into, you know, performance director positions, too. And, and overseeing the sports science areas and, you know, handling areas like that too. So uh, it's really been, it's really been a delight to see the field grow as much as it has. And, you know, really the, the endless, endless opportunities that, that are there. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things for me from the outside looking in, because obviously I don't work for a club or for a team, but I work with a lot of individual athletes is just seeing the amount of resources that are poured into the clubs now and and how they're really looking to, as you alluded to, tighten all the screws, right? When you have trainers, you have rehab professionals, you have massage therapists, you have nutritionists, mental health coaches, like you can really develop athletes to the highest level. They have the resources now if they so choose, right? And I think that's something that's really cool to see is that evolution of, oh yeah, you know, we got a strength coach, we have an AT and a PT and that's it. Now, like you have all of these people on staff and again, there's, there's some challenges with that too, right? When you get that many people Mm kind of on board, but man, it's cool to see like all the resources available to help these athletes achieve their potential. It's incredible. And, and these athletes are starting to get those resources much younger too. So my first year in the, in the major leagues was 2003 and I was the, I was the head strength coach. We didn't have a nutritionist, so I was in charge of all the nutrition, the supplements, everything across the board. There was no mental performance coach. So by default, you know, we ended up, you know, being a lot of the guys that ended up talking through all that. And I learned a lot about that in regards. We had a video coordinator, but he didn't travel. So on the road, I was the video coordinator also. So I recorded the games and sat there and and and, and helped the players, you know, come up if they're gonna view their at bat in the middle of the season. So I I wore a lot of hats, which was amazing because now 
now that we have these resources available, we have these positions on the staff, I understand the depth of their knowledge and, yeah. and how, how much they can bring to the table. And so it's not a competition to see, you know, if I can be the most valuable player on the staff, it's more of how do we utilize everybody at the right time in the most important way. And so I, I absolutely recognize the value of all of that across the board. And the fact that we can get these resources in the hands of some of our youngest you know, youngest players just coming into the org is incredible, incredible. The, the other thing that just kind of came to mind too is the fact that you had to wear all those hats. Man, you can have some really good conversations with these other professionals now too, right? <laughs> the fact that you've been in their shoes, like maybe not at their level, but just the fact that you can have these conversations with them and kind of get everybody on the same page, because I think we can all agree we're, we're athlete centric, right? We're in it for the athlete. So the fact that you can talk to the nutrition person or the video person, or even the hitting coach, right? Cause you had to do some of that stuff yeah. and like cut video or whatever, like yeah. it just helps the athlete get a better result. Yeah. I recognize the value that they bring, but I also recognize how difficult their, their work is. Yes. You know? so in, in, nutrition alone in the major league, like just with supplements and everything like that. But you cannot please everyone with the food that you put out. Yeah. I recognize that. I've dealt with it, you know, for many, many years. So, so when the nutritionist is, is trying their hardest to put out the best high quality food for an entire team of, of people from all over the world, it's, it's impossible. It's yeah. not going to work. And so I recognize that and I don't hold them to fault. And, you know, I understand how difficult it is, you know, to have conversation with guys when they're really, really struggling professionally, you know, on the field and, and you know how hard they're working and you know the work that they're putting in, but you just don't see the results on the field and they come to you and they're just, they're kind of unloading on you. And you're like, this is, this is the ideal place for a mental performance conditioning coach because, yeah. you know, they have the skill set to be able to navigate this and kind of build them back up and, and keep them going. And, and then video is, is what I was doing in video in 2003 versus what they're doing now <laughs> is just mind blowing, like yeah. mind blowing. So um, you know, the availability of, of what they have and what they can do is incredible, incredible. For sure. Okay. So something I'm really interested in and with a lot of coaches that I bring on, I like to talk about like off-season training, but I feel like off-season training across sports is, is kind of similar, right? Like everybody's mm-hmm. going to have their own nuance and their own piece to it, but I'm really interested in in-season strength training for baseball. Because there's logistics here, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is what is the stat? Like 162 games in 180 days. Yeah. So, like, do the math there. You got 18 off days, and I'm assuming you're going to try and train pretty regularly throughout the year. So, kind of a two part question here. Number one, when do you train these guys? And maybe number two, what does a typical training session look like? Yeah. That that those are awesome questions. I'm excited to dive into this too. The first one is is when, when do you do when, it? And then what do you do? So it depends. It depends <laughs> on the player, okay. but uh, position players specifically. So these guys are playing every single day. They're practicing every single day and playing every day. Some of them will work out before the game, but not all and not many others will work out after the game. So you can imagine, you know, showing up at the field at, you know, one o'clock or two o'clock and they go through their whole, you know, pregame work, BP and then play nine innings of a game and then walk into the weight room afterwards and, and have to get a workout. And you can imagine how <laughs> fatigued they are coming in. And this is, right. this is after playing six, eight, 10 days in a row too. So looking at your, at your strength and conditioning schedule that you've mapped out for the year and you're like, Oh yeah, we're, you know, this is going to be a high intensity day, or this is going to be a high volume day. Like you can, you can, at times you can throw that stuff out the window because right. you're going to have a guy that comes in and he's just absolutely gassed. So, you know, it's, it's for lack of a better term, it's a maintenance schedule. You want to take them through all the, all the, all the movement patterns. You want to, you want to give them some load uh, if, if possible, because you want to try to maintain the strength gains that you've made in the off season. But you have to understand that recovery is, is of the utmost importance too, because the more you pile on that night, you know, the less that they're going to have available tomorrow. And, and the job is to play the game and to play the game at the highest level. So yep. some other guys we shifted to more of a a pregame type warm up slash workout, you know, where we, again, we take them through all the movement patterns, you know, squat, hinge, push, pull, and loaded carries or, you know, a fifth movement and stuff like that and, and use it as a warm up. So gradually progress, you know, through that warm up. we'll change it slightly, but they'll do that and then go out and do their pre-work. So again, they're, they're kind of using that as a prep to go into their, their practice. And then, you know, to, to break down what a workout would look like and how long it takes, 
you know, for position guys, it's, it's pretty basic. You know, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll squat some guys, not a ton, you know, usually a front squat or, a, you know, a, a safety bar lunge or, or things like that, yep. where you do want to add some load. You know, we can usually hinge guys pretty well with the trap bars and in pulling, you know, there's just thousands of different pulling motions and movements and things like that. But we stick, you know, primarily to cables and, and kettlebells and, and things like that. And then, you know, pressing again, it's not, it's not the most important thing they're going to do in the weight room that day. So we don't, we don't go overboard on it, but you know, right. some, some different push up variations and, and things like that to get their arms overhead or landmine pressing and, and options like that to, to get the scap in good positions and keep it moving are, are all good options. I love it. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like, I mean, most of the sports that I've worked with, especially, I mean, soccer is the easiest, right? Cause let's be realistic, like soccer, football, if you're, if you're writing a strength program, you kind of know the days you have to be ready, right? And mm-hmm. you've generally got six to seven days in between games, mm-hmm. even basketball. Hopefully you've got one or two days off every week where you can sneak some of these things in. Like you guys don't get days off. So that's what I was intrigued by. Like, how do you, how do you make that work? And like, just if you could give me an average, like how long does a session last? And maybe how many days per week do you think these guys are lifting on average, so- right? I know everybody's different. Yeah. So position guys are probably going to average anywhere from two to three lifts a week. And they're going to average probably anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes in the weight room. Yep. You know, and that, you know, some of that might include a prep work. Some of it might include a little med ball stuff like that, but it's not a crazy, fancy, amazing workout in season. It just can't be. It, yeah, it, it can't be. It cannot be, you know, but your starting pitchers are, are more like, you know, your NFL team or whatever, like, you know, every fifth day, they're going to go out and they have a bullpen in the middle. So you can work around that. So you can use your, your high intensity days and, and try to lump together your high intensity days and try to give them some low intensity days in there in between to, to recover. But at least, you know, exactly what's going on, you know, and then you get it all set and it's perfect and you're ready to go. And then it rains and everything <laughs> just push back. And so, or, you know, you travel all night and get in at, you know, 5am in the morning and, you know, and have a day game. So right. <laughs> it's uh they call it a game of adjustments for a reason because it's literally a, a daily game of adjustments. You're adjusting, you know, to, to the world that's happening around you, the schedule of the game, but you're, then you're also adjusting to everything happens, you know, pitching coach or somebody will grab say, I, I have to do extra work with them. And, and you just adjust, you know? Yeah. Well, and this is where too, like you can have the greatest plan on the planet and obviously you're going to plan ahead and kind of have an idea as to what you want to get done, but you also have to be incredibly malleable kind of in the moment and just know like, oh man, oh wait, this guy just played maybe 14 innings tonight or whatever. Like you said, we are going to lift hard, but man, we didn't get in until five in the morning and everybody's smashed. So we're going to lighten up. I mean, I can only imagine, like you said, how many adjustments you have to make on a day-to-day basis to make that work. Yeah. And that's where, that's where guys really truly need to take advantage of their off seasons, you know, and and work at facilities like you and and Cressy and all the other great facilities across the, the country you know, really take advantage of those, you know, three months of solid time that they have to develop their body and prepare for the season, you know, because that's time that they have that they know, you know, that they can dedicate towards it during the season. It's if they're waiting for the season, you know, to try to make those gains and get their, their body right. It's too late. It's not going to happen. That window's gone. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So talk to me a little bit about integration. We kind of talked briefly about it earlier, but when you have a strength coach and an athletic trainer and a rehab professional, like back in the day, everybody was very siloed, mm-hmm. right? And I remember being at Ball State and one of our football players tore his ACL. And so he went and he saw the surgeon. And then after that, he worked with the AT and did all the stuff that he needed to do. And then the AT finally passed him off to the strength coach. Like that's how things used to work, right? Now we're much more integrated. So could you speak to me a little bit about that? Maybe how that works at your level and maybe some of the pieces. I mean, we talked a little bit about the pieces you have on board, but like how people have to work together at this level to create an athlete centric environment where the athlete can perform at the highest level each and every day. Yeah, I think you nailed it too with originally it was more it was more siloed and and honestly i was part of the silo back in the day and we can we considered it a success if if there was a handoff you know we were like you know hey this guy did did go to these different silos and hit all the silos today you know he worked with every single person but there wasn't that collaboration that wasn't that wasn't that that coming together and making it all fit together and so the way i see it now most successfully is you have all these areas 
of expertise. You have these, all these people that are on your, your team and your staff. And at any one given point, depending on where the athlete is in their career, in their day, or whatever they have going on, if it's a rehab or if they're just you know highly competitive in season day to day, some person on that staff is going to take the lead and the others are going to fall into support. And, and that's going to shift depending on where that athlete is. So, you know, if, if, if they're, they're newly injured, the athletic trainer is going to take the lead They're you know, they're going to go to their surgery or whatever like that. And then we're going to bring in mental performance conditioning because, you know, this is a huge change in their, in their life. They're going to surgery. They're, they're out of the game. We're going to pull in nutrition. They're going to factor in much bigger because we need to go in, you know, with good nutritional work going in and then coming out of it, we need to, we need to make sure that nutrients are, are, are up to speed there. And then as they shift into their, their rehab, you know, the PTs are going to take over more. The strength coach might start to get more involved, but really the position coaches are, are still waiting, you know, for, for the player to return to that area. If it's a highly competitive in-season player, then probably the position coaches, you know, are going to take the lead. They are going to be the leads and, the athletic trainer is probably going to play a little bit stronger support just in day to day to make sure that they're ready to go, you know, don't have any issues, soft tissue work or anything like that. And then the strength coach is going to support, you know, daily workouts, making sure they're prepped to go out on, on the field and, and things like that. So the way I see, you know, ideal collaboration is that those, those, those points of emphasis shift and they shift, they're, they're kind of constantly and continually shifting. And so everybody has to be has to be ready and available to step up at any one given point when they are most needed. But it doesn't mean that they disappear. It just means that others, others take more of a lead role and we support. So if you go into it feeling like, you know, you, you are the most important thing of that player for that day, every single day, it's going to be really difficult for you to take a supporting role when you need to. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a little bit of rift between the staff in that regard, because you have to allow others to step up, take the lead and, and do what they're there to do and support them. And, and there will be a time when that's you and you just have to be ready for that also. That's such a unique way of, of describing it. I've never heard it stated exactly like that, but I love that idea of everybody's on board, but everybody is going to balance or kind of shift between leading roles and supporting roles. I mean, I don't think I could have said it any better. Like that's a really unique way to look at it. And I think it, it helps everybody understand the process of, look, you might have 10 people on board here, but there's always going to be one or two that are leading the charge while everybody else supports. And then that just rotates as they go through the process. That's very, very well said. Yeah. And I like, I like that because, you know, it gets away from just a a whole team approach too. Like you yeah. start looking at the individual player because you're like, well, just because I'm not taking the lead on this player doesn't mean I disappear. It just means maybe I need to take the lead on that player yep. or these two players and somebody else needs to take the lead there. Or it gives more of an individual approach from the team, you know, to the, to the players. Yep. I love it. Okay, man. So you've spent 21 years in the game now, no signs of slowing down. <laughs> what are some key attributes you'd say have kept you in the game and thriving for so long? Just, just so, just so curious about what else is out there and what else, what else I can learn. You know, when I, when I got started with Toronto, there was so, we were so far behind. And and so my focus was so much on, you know, how can I bring, bring us back up to speed that I think I got, I got tunnel vision for a long time and just tried to try to keep up as opposed to, to get ahead and, and, and think forward. And now given the situations, you know, the last few years in Toronto and now here with the Yankees, it's just an opportunity to really zoom out and see the big picture and really, really try to see, you know, how far, you know, we can keep pushing this and taking this because, you know, resources are here and resources are available. And it's just a matter of, of who does it better. It's not who has more and, and who can, who can get more. It's just a matter of who can bring it together and do a better job working together. Yep. And that is a fun challenge. Like that is exciting, you know, and, and meeting and meeting so many other players, players, so many other staff members across the game, you know, if it's position coaches or, you know, any other support staff that are coming into the game with so much more experience and knowledge and, and things they can bring to the table right away. It's just, it's so amazing. And it really excites you, you yeah. know? And so that, that definitely keeps the fire burning. I love it. I'm the same way, man. Just staring at my notebook sometimes and I'm just like, 
why do most people do this? Do they just stare at their <laughs> notebook and draw things or try and flesh out ideas? I don't know, but I'm there with you, man. I love it. So, okay, Donovan, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Donovan Santos one piece of advice about training in her life, what would it be? Yeah, I would say to just to keep dreaming big and keep keep thinking big, but but most importantly, don't lose don't lose track of of what is the most important thing in your life. And and for me that's for me that's my family, my my wife and son. And I know that any any time that I've lost track of that or that hasn't been the most important thing for me, you know, it's been it's been, you know, darker times and harder times. So, you know, whatever the cost is or whatever the whatever that is, don't lose track of that. I love and, it. No, I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say <laughs> I love it. And, and especially in pro sports, like how hard is that, right? It is. It is. And, you know, early on, it's unrealistic to say, you know, you're going to, you know, come in late and leave early because you're, you know, you're the first person, you're, you're the, it's your first year in the league or anything like that. But I'm in a position now where, where it is, it's the most important thing to me. And, and I try to, I try to make that abundantly clear to our staff too, to prioritize family and, and don't jeopardize that because you, you don't, you don't want to screw that one up. Yep. I love it, man. Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So for fairly short questions, your answer can be as long or short as you like. All right. Great. Great. Okay. Number one, this might be tough, but what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Oh man, too many to, too many to mention. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've had a chance to work with two hall of famers, Frank Thomas and Roy Halliday. So I went to the hall of fame ceremony, you know, for, for Halliday and, and then just a lot of other awesome, you know, game memories being in, in person, you know, to see it. And then, you know, not just sitting in the stand, seeing it, but, but in the dugout with them as, you know, Frank hit his 500 home run, and, uh, Roy won the, the Cy Young and Carlos Delgado hit, you know, four home runs, went four for four with four home runs in a game of four different pitchers. And just, you know, <laughs> being there in the dugout celebrating with those guys, you know, so mostly celebrating the success of a lot of the players that you're working with and, and just being there and being part of it and knowing that you, you, you had a small, small factor into it. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Number two, three major stops along the way. Could you maybe give us one big takeaway you've had from each? Yeah. So Arizona, easy. Dan Worth was amazing. He was, he was the director of strength and conditioning there. And he opened my eyes to periodization. Like he's, he is a monstrous man and he <laughs> is, is brilliant, brilliant. He's at the university of Tennessee now, but brilliant, brilliant man. And he just blew my mind away with periodization. I'm like, Oh my God, like this is, I had never seen anything like it. Cleveland, Fernando Montez, anybody, anybody that's anybody worked under Fernando in Cleveland. And it was, it was, it was like a boot camp that you that you needed to survive, but you came out of it with stories of the structure that he had was was so incredible, and everything was accounted for down to the smallest detail, and that's something that stuck with me for a really a long time. And then coming to the Blue Jays, just seeing a complete opposite end of that with Jeff Gershell, who it was energy, it was all energy, and he's the type of guy that I could just sit around and, and talk to all day, every day. And he just makes you so excited about what you're doing. He brings this enthusiasm and excitement that keeps you going. And then, you know, working with Cressy here at the Yankees, um, just opens my eyes every day to, you know, how, how much he's done and how much he knows and, and how far I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has a tendency to do that to people, doesn't he? Yes. I think I know things about the shoulder and then I listen to him talk and I realize yeah. how little I actually know. So <laughs> number three, What's your biggest shift in thought process from when you started to where you are now? Yeah. Number one, it's gone from me to we hundred percent, you know, early on it was me. I basically was in, in charge of doing everything and had to figure out how to get everything done. And now it's, now it's we, you know, how can we all get this done? You know, how can I refer out when I need to and how can I learn, learn from those around me? I love it. Okay. Number four, last but not least, What's next for Donovan Santos? Just keep, keep, keep building, you know, hunting for that 28th world championship here with the Yankees um, and trying to, trying to adapt to what is going to be like this year. You know, I, I think I've, I've abandoned the man. I can't wait for things to get back to normal because I don't see it. I don't see it going back to normal. And so I'm, I'm preparing for, you know, 
whatever our new normal is. And, and so that's, that's what's next. What's next is how do we, how do we do the new normal better right. than everybody else? Because uh, I, think, I think we might be wasting our time trying to go back to the old normal. I agree wholeheartedly, my friend. Well, Donovan, it's been great catching up with you today. Really appreciate your time because I know how busy you are. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, not a ton on social media. I have an Instagram, Donovan.Sanis. It's mostly a montage to my my family. You know, email is probably the easiest and best. Just uh, DeSantis at Yankees.com. And uh, happy to answer or try to answer whatever whatever guys send my way. I love it, man. Well, again, Donovan, thanks so much for coming on the show, buddy. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great talking to you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Donovan. Really hope you enjoyed it. He was fantastic to catch up with, a guy that I met in passing, conversed with in passing a little bit, but really great to sit down, hash it out. And even though he's probably about my age, just a very cool guy to sit there and get some perspective on the changes and the evolution of physical preparation within the sport of baseball over the last 21 years. So really hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a thing or two. If you did, do me one of two favors. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please do it right now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, give the old clicky click so you're subscribed and you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Number two, if you have already done that, go one step further for me. Go to iTunes, give me a rating and a review. This is the most surefire way to make sure that the show gets in front of more coaches, trainers, rehab professionals such as yourself, because ultimately my goal is to impact as many people as possible and make our industry the best that it can possibly be. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.